0: your connection card. It's the white and blue card in your program. And uh, and, and I encourage you to fill this out and to leave us some information. This is a great way if you are a first time guest with us for us to get in contact with you and to uh, welcome you to the church. If you are a regular with us, this is a great way for us to stay in uh, touch with you. So please feel free to leave us uh, a praise report or a prayer request on the back, and there are also on the, on the back some things that you can uh, sign up for some upcoming events. Uh, and, uh, and anything that is ever uh, on our program or, or anything along those lines, even if we don't have a box, just please put it on there, uh, and, and I'll make sure that, uh, that that gets forwarded to the right person, that we have that information. So, for example, we got all kinds of announcements on the back of our program today. Lots of things going on. The gathering for our college young adult group is meeting in the, in the afternoon. The young marrieds have a fellowship uh, today at Chelsea in my uh, place. And, um, and so those are some... Th- also tonight, uh, not on the bulletin, West Covina Bible Study is, uh, is meeting. So if you are a part of that, uh, please, please make note of that. If you're not, but you'd like to attend, uh, talk to Pastor Rick after the service couple other uh, things I'd like to highlight, um, uh, women, the Metro, the women's ministry is having a Metro Gold Line and City Walk. This is a repeated event because um, uh, uh, it really went over well, my understanding, the first time, and so it's something that, uh, that the, keep that in mind. I encourage you to attend that. In fact, if you could, you could sign up for that either on the connection card or there's a sign-up sheet in the, in the uh, foyer at the pretzel kiosk a new adult sunday school class is starting up next week on uh on the book of job why does god allow pain and suffering and uh there's probably no greater place for us to look in the bible than at the book of job and then also a week from this upcoming saturday so that'd be saturday january 21st we have a mid-year congregational meeting and dinner let me just give a little a word of explanation on this because this is our first time we've ever done this. Uh, this will be an opportunity for you to just kind of get an update on what are some of the things that are going on in the church, an update on some of the ministries, an update on the pastor search process, an update on um, on uh, just where we are going and just some visionary type things. And so it's meant to be an encouragement too to just... To, uh, to encourage one another in the ministry. So please, uh, if, if, uh, if you are able to, sign up for that. And uh, we do need a, a registration ahead of time because we're, we're uh, catering dinner. And uh, so uh, you can k- sign up for that on the back of the connection card again. So these are some of the announcements that I'll uh, make note of today. The only thing else that I'd really want to make note of is, how about that Rose Bowl game, huh? Boy, that was, that was one of those legendary games. That was a lot of fun. And uh, so a uh, uh, good way to kick off the new year, right? Uh, last second win doesn't get any uh, better than that. So that's grace, right? No, that's a, that's a weak introduction into the sermon. But uh, today's message is on grace. And uh, we are, we're going to talk about, we're getting back into Ephesians we started a book of, uh, looking at the book of Ephesians before Thanksgiving, and uh, so we are uh, now, now that we've gotten through these holidays, uh, we are back into Ephesians, and we're going to talk about uh, the, just the riches of God's grace today. Sometimes we think of God's grace as the thing, like the starting point of our faith, where, how we get saved. Yeah, we know that that's by grace, but today I want to kind of broaden that perspective and talk about how we need grace as believers in all of our lives. In fact, all of, all of uh, what we do in this world as we uh, think about our faith is done in God's grace. If it's done in our own strength, then it's uh, sure to fall flat. But if it's done with God's help, which is, which is His grace, then He empowers us to live the lives that He has called us to live, to live the lives that, uh, that ultimately we want to live, that will satisfy our hearts. And so we're going to talk about the riches of God's grace. Found the, uh, the main verse here is Ephesians 1, and then moving, uh, Ephesians 1 starting at verse 7, and, go, and we're going to go all the way through verse 10. But let me just read the first part of it here uh, to get us started. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, In him we have... Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. The riches of God's grace. God is not poor in grace. He's rich in grace, and he's not, and he's very generous with it. He lavishes it upon us. Let's take a minute and ask for God's help as we prepare to look at his word this morning. Father God, we, we pause even at the beginning of this message just to recognize that you are a God who is rich in grace. And when we think about our salvation and we think about seeking to live lives that are, that are glorifying to you, we, uh, we realize that we are dependent upon your grace. And so even now we humble ourselves and pray that you would be gracious to us in the midst of this sermon, that you would help us to receive what you would have for us. And so we invite your spirit now to be our teacher. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in seminary, I had to take a church history class. It's kind of one of these foundational classes that every seminarian has to take. And so we learned about all kinds of uh, uh, periods of history. And one of the areas that we spent a lot of time looking at was what we call the Reformation The Reformation is where we, where uh, this church is a Protestant church, and the Protestant church broke from the Catholic church. Happened in the early 16th century, and uh, and the Catholic church had uh, had there was a lot at that time. There was a lot of corruption that had uh, seeped into the church. Now I say Catholic church at that time there was no other type of church. If you were a Christian, you were a part of the Catholic Church. All This was all of Christians. But there were some Christians who recognized that there were certain things that were taking place that should not be taking place. And so they said, we have to take a stand. We have to say, these are principles that we will not compromise on. And so they came up with uh, five, this is what I learned in my church history class, that we said that there were five pillars of the faith that they said we're, these, are, these are non-negotiable and they're all Latin words it makes them sound really fancy but, uh, but the first is sola scriptura by scripture alone in other words uh, the truth that we will have in our faith is going to be found in the Bible and the Bible alone not in tradition or not in someone's opinion or pop psychology or whatever it is we're going to find the uh, truth in God's word. The second was solus Christus. By Christ alone. Not going to look to any other way, but we're going to look to Christ alone. He is the foundation of our faith. Sola fide. By faith alone. Not by anything we can do. Not by our own works. But our, 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 our Christian life is built and grounded in a faith alone. So, sole di, uh, dia gloria, uh, to God be the glory alone. We don't take any credit, no one gets, uh, but God gets the glory alone. And then lastly, sola gratia, by grace alone. And this is what, the one that we want to focus in on this morning. This is a foundation of our faith, by grace alone. It is not anything that we can do, not anything that we work. By grace, it means it is unmerited favor. This is the definition that was this was the description of sola gratia that was given in my church history class. Our justification and salvation are both solely by the sovereign grace of God and not dependent on any action or condition that man provides. So in other words our salvation and our justification are on God's grace alone. But even in this description It sounds like grace is kind of just the starting point. I had a professor that uh, asked me in one of these seminary classes, he said, you think that, and this, this question got me thinking, he said, do you think that Adam needed God's grace before he sinned? In other words, if he didn't need saving, did he need God's grace? And the professor came to the conclusion, and I think he's right, that he did need God's grace. He gave this as a definition. Grace is God acting in your life to accomplish what you can't do on your own. And if that is a good definition, then we need a lot of grace. Because there are a lot of things, if we are to seek to live the life that God wants us to live, there are a lot of things that God has called us to do that we simply can't do. At least I feel that. I know I want to be a godly husband, and I mess up all the time. I want to be a godly father. I want to be a good pastor. I want to be a good uh, person in my community and all of these things. But I know that if I do it in my own strength, it's all, it's, it, there's not going to have much legs to it. It's going it's to be pretty weak. God's grace is God acting in our lives to accomplish what we can't do on our own. It's God's grace over and over and over again. At Christmas, we were, re- we were reminded that with the coming of Jesus, we have all received grace upon grace. Isn't that a great phrase? With the coming of Jesus, we have all received grace upon grace upon grace. That God's grace just keeps getting poured out into our lives. It comes from John 1.16. For from His fullness, speaking of the coming of Jesus... From from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. I was in the McDonald's one day, and this was a few years ago. I may have said this, I don't know, before, but I got a real kick out of this. There's this little kid, and he's, got a, he's, he's about my age of my son, Dawson, because I see Dawson doing this. And uh, he's, he's just tall enough he can get a refill at the fountain machine, but he's not quite tall enough to see if the cup is full or not. So I'm sitting back watching. What's he going to do here? He's got his cup up there, and I forget what he's getting, like lemonade or something. And, and, uh, and, he's, and it's coming, and then sure enough, it gets to the top of the cup, and it just starts pouring all over the cup. And he's having the time of his life. He thinks this is so funny. It's going all over his hand. Pretty soon, it kind of like starts dribbling down his arm. And, but he's up there just laughing away, and I'm thinking... Where's this kid's mom? What's going on here? But he's having a great time. And I just think, like when we think of the Christian life, if we are to think about living all that God has for us, living in that freedom, living in the joy that he provides, it is going to be grace upon grace upon grace. As Paul says here, God is rich in grace, and he is not holding it back. He wants to lavish it upon us if we place our faith in Him. So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1. We want to unpack these things and really begin to um, hopefully be encouraged by God's grace and also be inspired to really place our our faith in Him. Again, Ephesians 1.7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He has lavished on us. So three ways in which God's grace is lavished on us. The first is found here in verse 7, and that is redemption. Uh, the word redemption that is used here is a, uh, in, in its original Greek meant to buy back. And surely the Ephesians, uh, the church in Ephesus that first received this, probably the first thing that would have come in, uh, into their mind was the idea of a slave being bought back. Uh, For us, that analogy probably isn't right at the forefront of the mind. What comes to my mind is the idea of redeeming your recycling, right? You take your soda cans in. I grew up saying pop cans. I'm from the Midwest. But you take your soda cans in, your pop cans, whatever, and, uh, and you take it into the recycling center, and you had already bought that from the store. You drank your soda, and now they buy it back. They give you five cents a can. It's a, it, uh, you get a redemption for the first century Jews that were uh, and Christians that were reaching uh, reading this they would have thought about a, a slave who had somehow lost his freedom. Now he could be redeemed in one of two ways: either he could work off his his debt, his penalty, and uh, and he could buy back his own freedom, or someone could pay a a ransom price, so to speak, and and then he would get his freedom back well it's a very good analogy for us in the faith because the bible says that we have paid we have done a sit we have done a penalty in such a way that we have lost our freedom when we were created we were created in the image of god to live a certain life that god had purpose for us and in fact we see it so beautifully portrayed in the in the garden of eden with adam and eve This is a life that is meant to be lived in all of God's benefits. And yet, because of sin, something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. In fact, Jesus tells us, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You see, things have gone awry. It all started back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. They were told, you have this beautiful creation, this whole garden It's all free for you to use, but do not uh, eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why did God give that? It wasn't because this fruit was poisonous or something. It was an issue of if they were to trust Him and obey Him. Well, we who uh, have been in the church for a while know the story that Adam and Eve uh, sinned and uh, turned away from God, and there were penalties God comes looking for Adam in the midst of the garden and he cries out. He says, where are you? It wasn't a question of ignorance. It was to tease out a response to help Adam to understand what was really happening because of their disobedience. Uh, I have a little daughter um, who's two years old just starting to play hide and seek, right? And And I'll cry out that question. Where are you, Kinsey? Where are you? We count to ten and she's hiding. I know full well where she is. She's like standing behind the chair and there's slats in the chair. I, I know where she's at. It's not a question of really wondering where she's at. God knows where Adam's at. He's really trying to help Adam to discover something. What went wrong here, Adam? How'd you get in this situation? How are you going to get yourself out? It's a question that we have to wrestle with as well. What went wrong this world, it doesn't take any convincing to realize that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. We see on the news where a terrorist, uh, a guy goes in, into—he uh, even, doesn't even have to go through airport security. Just goes into the baggage claim and guns people down, right? It doesn't take any convincing to know that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. So this question uh, is before us as well. What went wrong? How will it be made right? Well, Paul gets at the question here. There is a buying back. There is a redemption. And it is through his blood. It is through the blood of Jesus. This is an act of God's grace. Later on in the Ephesians 2, he'll go on to say, It is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The first way that God lavishes His grace upon us is that He offers us salvation. It's redemption. The second way that we see in this passage that God's grace is poured out into our lives is by giving us wisdom and understanding. Look what verse 8 says. Well, let me start at the end of verse 7. It says, "...in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He has lavished upon us with all wisdom and understanding." My translation has a period in the, midst of, in the middle of verse 8. I wish it wasn't there. There's actually no period in, uh, in the original Greek. In fact, in the mid, we are in the middle of the longest sentence in all the Bible. It doesn't read that way in English, but in, in the original, in Paul's Greek, it, uh, it's one sentence from verse 3 to verse 14. And so he's building upon one another. He says, even God's, uh, even, uh, God's wisdom and grace is an act. Uh, wisdom and understanding is an act of His grace. He has lavished upon us His grace. With wisdom and understanding, He has made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put uh, into effect when times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in the midst, all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Okay, there's a lot there. Let me take a minute and. Try to unpack this. As I said, this is a long sentence, and one thing builds upon another. So it says, out of His grace, He gives us wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding into what? Well, He says He has given us wisdom and understanding to make known to us the mystery of His will. So we have wisdom and understanding to understand what God's will is, the mystery of His will. What is His will? Well, he fleshes it out a little further. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. So his will is being done somehow by Christ. What, is that, what does that will look like? Well, it, it, it will reach its full effect when times reach their fulfillment. That's what verse uh, 10 says. When times reach their fulfillment, when everything comes to a head and, things, and time has reached its climax then God's the mystery of God's will will be completed and he says that is when all things in heaven and are on earth are brought to unity under Christ so here is the mystery of God's will it is his plan of redemption at one end of this plan we have Christ's first coming it is what we've talked about through his blood the cross this is, God's, uh, this is God's will, that he's working out redemption, that he sent his son Jesus, and this is his plan of redemption, that Jesus would die on the cross. Now, the other thing is it mentions at the fullness of time, that's when everything will come to completion, at the end of time, that is his second coming, when Jesus comes back again. Revelation says that when he comes back again, he is bringing God's presence with him to dwell on this earth. So in his first coming, Jesus brought God's presence in a very spectacular way. In the person, in his own person that he says that he has come to bring the kingdom of God within grasp. In other words, God's kingdom, God's presence is right here in its midst and it is open to us Through the cross. And then all of this will reach its culmination when he comes back the second time. And when he comes back the second time, Revelation says that Jesus is coming back and heaven is coming with him. In other words, God's presence is coming with him and it will join together with the earth. That is what's being talked about here in in, uh, Ephesians chapter 1. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. This is the plan of redemption that begins with the cross and ends with His second coming. Revelation 21 is, speaks about this fairly clearly. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bridegroom, beautifully, adre- beautifully dressed for her husband. And I, saw, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. In other words, everything will be made right. This is the story of redemption. From, from Jesus' first coming to his second coming. And so we have been given wisdom and understanding in this. We've been given an understanding to know that God is making all things right. He is bringing His presence in such a way, and we live with His presence, though it is just a foretaste of how it will be when He comes the second time, we live with His presence now through the giving of the Holy Spirit. We live in the midst of these two points in history. But yet there are, in this story of redemption, there are plot twists and turns that we don't always expect. In any good story, there's uh, points where it goes in one direction that you don't expect it to go. Chelsea and I went to a movie a couple weeks ago over Christmas break. Her parents are teachers, and so they came and watched. took the kids for a night, and we said, let's go to a movie. We went to see the movie La La Land. Have any of you seen La La Land? Okay, several of you have. I loved it. Now, I haven't been to a movie in a couple years because before Kinsey was born, so I'm not the best judge of movies, but I thought it was a great movie. Now I want to tell you about the end of this movie, okay? And i and I apologize right up front because this is this is this is a spoiler alert. But I thought I, if you want to see, because this movie is going to probably win a lot of awards tonight's the Golden Globes. It's up for Beck's picture. It's a good movie, but I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you because there's no way I can get around it. Okay, it is a movie about a young uh, actress in Hollywood. Played by Emma Stone and uh, and a young jazz musician, I forget the guy's name. I'm not good with actors. Who is it? Ryan Gosling, and uh, and uh, so it is a love story about these two uh, about these two uh, people that meet and uh, and they just meet by happen chance and uh, and and they begin to date and they're kind of off and on, but they always seem to have. Each other's backs; they help each other, and uh, they're trying to both get established in their careers and in acting and in music and these things. And then at the end of the movie, it fast forwards five years, and you see that the actress, uh, who's played by Emma Stone, has is now married and has a child, but she's married to the not to the person that. She was with during the whole movie, and uh, and and she and her husband are out on a date one night, and they hear the music outside of this jazz club, and uh, they decide to go in. And she doesn't know that this is the uh, jazz club of the guy she used to date, but she sits down, and he comes up, and he takes the mic, and their eyes meet, and they recognize each other, and they probably haven't seen each other for several years. And he sits down at the piano, and he starts to play this song that was kind of like their theme song when they were dating and she gets at the end of the song she and her husband get up to leave and as she's on the way out she and here's the spoiler I'm sorry I can't get around <laughs> it. Uh, she she looks at at the guy at the piano their eyes meet and he just kind of gives a nod as if to say everything worked out okay Chelsea and I worked, walked out of the movie and I said how'd you like the movie and uh, she said, it's a good movie, but it didn't end the way you, I wanted it to end. You know, you, you, you want this couple to get together. You just spent an hour and a half of your life watching them date, and now they're, ne- and now they're uh, separated and never to see each other again. Uh, but, and, uh, and we talked about, and I began to think, you know what, I, at least for me, I think that the, there's a spiritual principle here that I look back on times in my life where there's a, plot, twist, or turn, so to speak, that things didn't go exactly how I wanted them to. I think about relationships that I was in, and, and you know, at the time I was praying, God, may this work out, or I, I think about when I went through difficult, difficult stages of life, and you, and you pray in one way, and it just doesn't work out the way you want, but in a sense, it's only in hindsight that you, you kind of get that nod from God to say, you know what? Everything's being worked out just according to my plan. Now, that's hard to say when you're sitting with someone at their bedside and they've just found out that they've got a terminal illness. Or you meet with someone at the funeral home and their loved one is laying in the casket. Or, you go, through, or you, you go and you call someone who's just lost their job to try to encourage them. There are all kinds of plot twists along the way, and sometimes it's hard to claim these promises. But God's, but God's Word does say, Romans 8.28, and this is a verse that's used a lot, but I think there is truth in it. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. You see, by God's grace, he gives us wisdom and insight into these things. We might not understand every plot twist and turn in the midst of this story. We are living somewhere between the cross and somewhere between Christ's second coming. We're in here. We don't know. A good story has a lot of points where you you wonder, is it going to work out the way you want it to? And God's story of redemption is the same way. But yet we have wisdom and understanding to know that God is on his throne and that he is working out those things according to his plan. And that's his grace. So God's grace is lavished upon us in redemption. God gives us grace in wisdom and understanding. And the third thing I think we see in this passage is that God gives us grace in what I want to call missional living. Now that's a, I don't know, I, try, I, I wrestled with a better term, I'm sorry. But a missional living, that's the best word. I I think it's so good if we can understand. Missional living is not becoming a missionary and going overseas. Not talking about going to seminary. What I mean by that is that we are all called to live on mission. We are called to live between this point and this point and try to uh, bridge that gap the best that we can. In other words, while we are here, we are seeking to help God's presence that will be felt Fully here to be experienced here and so that means we seek to bring God's presence into our homes and our families we seek to bring God's presence and his will to be done uh, within our workplaces and when we go to the grocery store or whatever Dawson is on a basketball team this year kindergarten basketball is a comedy show I mean it is it is great fun uh, these kids will get the rebound, and uh, they'll be halfway down the court before they remember to take their first dribble. I mean, it, it is good stuff. It's, it's, a, it's an entertaining thing. And I'm trying to help out with the team, and I realize, like, I'm not doing that just because it's fun or even to, just to help out Dawson, but I can be God's representative in this place. And so what do we do? Well, we seek to, uh, we seek to represent Christ, and we pray a lot. Because God's grace is received by prayer. Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Does that not have echoes of right here? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it's done in heaven. That's missional living that we seek to bring God's grace into our lives wherever we're at. We seek to do His will in our lives just as it's done in heaven. And so I come back to the first definition I gave one more time. Grace is God acting in your life to accomplish what you can't do on your own. I'm going to just give us an opportunity as, we, as I close today's sermon to, to uh, pray for grace. And, uh, and I'm going to just give you an opportunity to pray in the, in the, in the, in the silence of your own heart. And uh, we're just going to go through the Lord's Prayer uh, uh, together. I'm going to pause after every phrase. I, I've kind of rewritten this, the Lord's Prayer, just kind of summarized it, to, so rather than expounding upon it, but just to try to grasp a little bit better some of the full meaning here. I'm going to read one phrase at a time. And, uh, and I want to just invite you to use this as a time of prayer. Whatever is going on in your life, just pray to God for his grace. Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, the one in the heavens, in the highest heaven above and simultaneously all around us right here on this earth, your presence is with us. I just invite you to go before God's presence and to pray before Him. Your name is holy. It's pure. It's righteous. And it ought to be hallowed. It ought to be honored in our world today. Pray that God's name is honored in your life. May your kingdom, which is your presence, come to this earth. And may your will be done on earth and in my life just the way it's done in heaven. May God's kingdom and his will be done in your life just as it's done in heaven. Pray that God would grant you his daily bread. Just what you need for today. Not any more, not any less. That he would help you to be satisfied and content. And that you'd be able to trust him for those things that he would have for you. Your daily bread. And I invite you to pray for forgiveness. Lord, forgive me my sins. Just as I have tried to forgive those who have wronged me. Pray against temptation. Help me not to enter into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one, from Satan. God, give me strength to live the life that you want me to live. For ultimately, yours is the kingdom and the power, is all. God has all the power and the glory May he get all the credit forever and ever. Amen. Father God, even as we pray this prayer of grace, we are reminded that You are our Father and that You love us so much, so much so that You sent Your Son to this earth to die on the cross that we can have redemption. And we pray that as we live between these two points in history that You would give us strength to live missional lives, to be uh, Your representative, to seek to live the life that You would have us to live and to spread the glory of Your name. So give us strength, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.